0: Have you all had a chance to look at these pictures? Yes. So why why do why do you think I pass them around? What's the point? Evolution. Evolution, exactly. In one word. That's it. (laughs) Not always so easy. (laughs) Evolution. Is it must be quite difficult to believe in or to have a very developed understanding of Jesus without evolution. Would you agree? You mean without? without believing in evolution. I think this is important. I, I, I'm not saying you can't believe in Jesus or be, love Jesus and want to follow, want to follow him while not believing in evolution, that would be ridiculous, but I'm I'm saying that if if the full, all if the riches in Jesus Christ are infinite, then there are always going to be new ways of understanding him, meeting him, being known by him, and our own self-knowledge is going to Expanded beyond anything we can imagine. Uh, and unless, unless there's a sense of uh, change, as it were, and, and growth, and the, the forming of Christ, that's been the, in one of the themes I've been trying to highlight. Christ is formed in us over time through experience through our human, individual, personal experience. So it's changing all the time. And if it's changing from now in our lives, from now until as far ahead as we can see, then that change has, has been prepared for. There's been an evolution. It's a, it's a flow, it's a continuum. So... Um, If the, if our capacity for growth into God is infinite because of Jesus, then, so there's an infinite future, then in a way there has to be an infinite past as well, because infinity doesn't begin in one place at one time. So it has to be eternal, as it were, on both sides, with time as we know it in the middle. But anyway, we won't we'll get there later. Maybe. But uh, so we've we looked, we began by looking at why we celebrate Christmas at the end of the year, why Advent begins with all this reflection on the end of time and the end of the world. Uh, and we um, saw that uh, you know the the feast of Christmas is associated historically, mythologically, with the death of the, of the of the solar year, so the death of the sun, and then the rebirth of the sun on the same night, the longest night, uh, and after that, the day gets a little longer, one minute a day or whatever it may be. So, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, reminds us, teaches us, that life includes birth and death as a cycle. And this is reflected in the Gospel story, the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus. And... We can also see this repeated in nature uh, through the seasons and in our own human nature in our own human evolution uh, as we move from one phase of life to another and in a real sense in every moment of life as well. Every moment is a dying and so every moment is a a rebirth. So in other words Christmas isn't just only some sentimental uh, feast, you know, cute little nativity scene. It's, it, it really takes us into the cosmic, into the cosmic understanding uh, of our place in, in the universe, and of our own deepest nature, where we are implicated with the, with the uh, f- cycles of, of the cosmos. So that was the first thing. Then, in the second, on the second day, we about on the second day, um, we 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 looked at what uh, the birth of Jesus reveals to us uh, about our own human birth and death cycle and that just as Jesus is born in this dark cave on this dark night, so we have to also go through our rebirthing continually uh, through our own dying and rising. And we looked at the, uh, the, the question of human loneliness because each person dies on their own just as each person is born on their own. I don't think two babies can come out of the mother at the same time. Uh, so there's a, a uniqueness about that, but that uniqueness can be misinterpreted as and misread as as loneliness. And where this, I mean, imagine you have two two uh, twins in in a mother's womb, and they've been together for nine months and got to know each other in the world. Their universe is is themselves in this beautiful. U- uterus, and then uh, the, the moment comes for their birth and they have to be separated, uh, and even an in individual baby experiences this separation and emergence as, a, as an individual. So this, uh, this misinterpretation or misreading mis- 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 of our uniqueness as and solitude solitude is uniqueness is misinterpreted as as loneliness and what what allows us to in, to uh, convert this loneliness to heal this loneliness is the family is relationships loving intimate relationships where we are known and where we know and where we trust so that we talked about uh, family and also about community, and how they're not exactly the same thing, but they have many similarities, and allow us to become adult children. We are always children of God, just as we're children of our parents and in a way, children of our society, but we can grow up, we can we can, and that's you know what you were saying the other day it was moving because makes us realise we have to we grow up as adult children so we can love our parents with their faults, even because of their faults, we can love them. But we're not, we're no longer in the womb, we're no longer um, imprisoned, really, in, in their world. And that's, we can never love. If we are imprisoned in our own world, or if we've never come into our own world, if we've remained um, in, you know, in the wrong kind of attachment or relationship uh, or, or codependency, of course, with, with our family or our parents or with other people. So that repeats itself throughout our lives until we realize that we have to emerge into our own world discover our own solitude, embrace our own uniqueness, and then overcome our loneliness, and then learn to love and to be loved. And there ain't no other way. And I think the, the, the Gospel, uh, the, the Nativity story, tells us a, a lot about this through its very simple myth, through the very simple details of the story, which. We read and reread, and every time we hear it, I think we hear it in a different way. It touches us differently. That's why it's scripture, that's why it's the word of God, because although it's very simple, it, um, it is infinitely truthful and useful, it, it, it is a key to our own evolution of consciousness. So, now then we started to look at what the Christmas story shows us, Um, as I said about community. It shows us our need to belong. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. We we need to face the, the troubles and challenges of life together. We see the Holy Family doing this, uh, and we see the evolution of of Jesus as he grew big and strong and grew uh, in wisdom and in favour with God and humanity. So, what does Christmas tell us of God? Well, this, this depends very much on how we understand Jesus. In the Christian uh, understanding of this story this is there are mythical elements in this story a virgin gives birth to a child this child has a cosmic significance and the wise men come and worship and then the bad king uh, tries to kill it so there are mythical elements in this story which uh, we find in other traditions but in the Christian reading of this story our key is the idea of the the incarnation that this child is the word of God incarnate, made flesh in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells embodied now take it or leave it or listen to it and try to understand what it says, that's the journey of faith. But many people, of course, just say, well, this is a nice story, it's mythical, it's like lots of other myths, and so, you know, Christians are a little bit narrow-minded to uh, give this sort of a special uh, and unique uh, interpretation of the story. So that's, you know, Christians are a little bit primitive in that way. You know, we've learnt a lot more about mythology and, and the cosmos and, uh, you know, so we don't we, we, we ought to be getting it out of this mythical world this fundamentalist world. So we can, uh, we have to listen to that and I think, I think many people who are in their evolution of faith, uh, struggle with that. So it depends upon how we understand Jesus, of course. If we believe that Jesus, or if if we are exploring and believing the mystery that Jesus is the incarnation of God, the full embodiment, in time, in a human person, then what we're saying is there is a perfect translation a perfect self giving of God to us in this person, and that blows the mind, it should blow the mind because how can you have a perfect translation? As we know, in trying to translate from French into English or Dutch or Italian, uh, we you know no translation is perfect there's a tone, there's a cultural association with words there are lots of false friends in, in the different vocabularies the word eventuellement in French does not mean what eventually means in English so how can you have a perfect translation? well, that's the mystery that we explore and evolve in our understanding of Wherever God is revealed, and God is revealed in many ways, God spoke to humanity in many and wondrous ways, the letter to the Hebrew says. Now He speaks to us in Christ. But the previous revelations of God, so the what known as the cosmic revelation, you know, when human beings running around with their spears killing sabre toothed tigers were uh, understood the 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 forces of nature. They they became conscious of them in a way that the sabre-toothed tigers or the dinosaurs didn't. They were part of these forces of nature, but it was the human mind which was evolving, as you see in those pictures. Uh, It was human consciousness that began to become aware of and conscious of these forces in nature. What an amazing moment or however many thousands of years it took, but not so long. That waking up of human consciousness in evolutionary terms was very rapid. So, but what an amazing thing for those early hum- humans or humanoids to just to be aware of the forces of nature that they were part of and that had created them and that they felt dependent on. And these were forces they could not control. Not surprisingly then, they divinized them, they turned them into gods, and uh, they were dependent upon these forces of nature, good harvests, good weather, all the rest, Uh, the movement of the animals, the migrations, so they depended on all of this. And later, as we moved into the agricultural phase of our our existence, we became aware of, of the importance of the weather and of, of land. and So all of these were forces that we were able to recognize, but we, we couldn't control and couldn't understand. And so we were dependent on them. And when you're dependent on something, you easily become frightened of it. So these forces of nature <coughs> became divinized, uh, and mythological, then humanity moved into the phase where we needed to explain this to ourselves. How do we make sense of this? So we started to tell stories. We still do. To tell stories, to try to understand and uh, express our amazing awareness, which was beyond our comprehension so that was in a way the first stages of of the revelation of God we could say when human beings broke into consciousness and, uh, and began to look at the world and then to create stories about the world in which they were related and then with the great axial age 500 or so years before Christ came the the Appearance of what we now think of as the main religious traditions. This was the age of the Buddha. This was the age <coughs> of the Hebrew prophets. This was the age of the uh, Upanishads, the later Upanishads. This was the age of Lao Tzu and of Plato. So the, the historians are... are Amazed at this uh, simultaneous awakening because it can't be explained by cultural contact or cultural influences. So, and what, what were the elements of this great axial age, the awakening of the religious mind in a way that we can relate to? We can't very well relate to, except New Age type of things, hugging trees or um, going to prehistoric stone circles. I mean, we can play that, but we don't really, I think, get into that anymore. <coughs> we can't easily go back. Uh, we can't go back to childhood. At Christmas we do a little bit. We, we play Christmas games, but we, don't, we can't really go back to an earlier stage of consciousness. So, so how do we... How do we... Uh, understand some of the main elements. Well, one of the main elements of this axial age awakening is interiority, very clearly described in the, in the Upanishads, this plunging into uh, the inner world of the self and discovering the resonance or the identity for the Hindus of the Atman, deep inner self, personal true self of oneself to uh, or with Brahman, with, with God. There's this interiority. We find it in the, in the prophets. What I want is mercy, not sacrifice, says the Lord. And this interiority is expressed in the prophets also with a burning sense of justice, social justice. If this is what the human being is like, then you must treat every human being, with respect and love and justice. And if you don't, you are, you are betraying God. So even in the Hebrew prophets, there's this sense. Uh, this, this people worship me with their mouths, but they are far from me with their hearts. So, in different ways, these, these revelations, or, or the revelation that took place in the Axial Age, has given us our major spiritual traditions. And studying them, getting to know them, seeing them as different branches of the same family is very important. Now, human beings being competitive and stupid uh, started to you know, kill each other if you didn't believe the same thing. But if we could understand what we have in common, we can see the You can see the real mystery and the real richness that is happening in this revelation and this phase of revelation which is uh each of these different cultures and thought systems and mindsets are producing uh their own unique uh story and picture but uh but they are resonant with each other. They, they share something profoundly similar. And one of the other elements, apart from interiority, is the sense that human life has an ultimate purpose. This is relatively new, or very new, an idea or understanding. Because previously, you just got through life, and when your time was up, you you died and they either threw your body on the garbage dump or they began to bury it or had stories about it. But basically, nothing really changed. You were just part of this cycle of nature. It's like when people have... I'm not going to hurt anyone's feelings on my head, I don't think. No, but when you you have a pet, you know, you love this pet, Uh, and... uh... Then it dies and there's this whole family's grieving over this pet... You know, a week later they go down to the pet shop and get another one. You know, start to love that. So, it's part of nature. One Labrador is pretty much like another Labrador. But, with the human species, there's the understanding that each human being is programmed for and destined for a ultimate fullness, whether, that is, whether that's described in terms of liberation of the self, enlightenment, of heaven, uh, of realization, wisdom, so different ways of describing it. but there's a sense that human life is each human life is an evolutionary process bringing us to an ultimate fullness and meaning which involves transcendence, self-transcendence. So, so when we talk about God, we have, to, we have to think about what we mean by God. Wherever God is revealed, he is also concealed. This is very clear in the birth of Jesus. Jesus. Here we, we, we would say, here in this little baby is the fullness of the Godhead dwelt embodied. Well, it looks just like a, a, an ordinary little baby. And it is an ordinary little baby. But what if this ordinary little baby were the embodiment of God? So, mystery. Mystery is not just something we can't understand. We enter into the mystery of reality through paradox, through encountering contradictions or apparent contradictions, and learning that these contradictions are actually polarised relationships. They're not fighting with each other, they're just different sides of the same coin that they are different ways of expressing the same thing, and that they can't be separated. This is life. And all of our arguments, whether it's in community or whether it's between nations, arise from the fact that we cannot see and accept the other point of view. And that's why reconciliation and forgiveness and healing Always involve being able to transfer our perspective to the other and see how the other sees things, even if you disagree with them. I mean, years, many years ago uh, in community, we had two, two monks. They they'd arrived at the monastery at the same time, both from New York. And uh, from day one, they hated each other. They just literally hated each other, and they tried to be nice occasionally. But whenever they had the opportunity, they hated each other. And I think they tried, but in the end, you know, you just get into the habit of finding people obnoxious and annoying, and irritating. <coughs> and they would each each one come to me and said, you know, you know, they both they both dead actually. <laughs> uh, you know, brother Victor is a very nice person, really nice person, but I just don't really think he's meant to be here. <laughs> and, uh, and Leonard. And then brother Leonard would come in and say, Well, you know, Victor's got a lot of good points about him, really has. But um, I just don't think he fits in here, really. You know, he doesn't really no. So I'd hear this, and then there'd be fight, there'd be explosions, and uh, so on. So eventually, I was a bit inexperienced. I brought them together and I said you know we've both spoken individually about each other so just just tell the other person in my presence and you don't the other person should not reply what you really think of this person and I know what you've said to me so you better be honest <laughs> so <laughs> amazingly they did they took the opportunity. I they were surprised. I was surprised as well, and they just started to say this. And by the end of the conversation, they loved each other. <laughs> well, they began to love each other, and then they even became quite good buddies. Not maybe f- full buddies, but they became you know, they f- became friendly. And uh, so, conflict. Especially when it becomes ingrained and compulsive and begins to become poisonous, that kind of conflict can only be cured when we expand our understanding and when we truly try to see ourselves in the other and the other in ourselves. That's a verse from the from the Upanishads as well, a universal verse of wisdom. So it's the same with our understanding or experience of God. We can't label God, you can't label a mystery. As soon as you put a label on, the label will begin to peel off. And then you're back with the mystery. The birth of Jesus in the Christian understanding is the centre of history. whether it's the chronological center of history or not, but it's the center of, of, human, of human time, the human experience of time. Why? Because it's the central axis point of, of the evolution of human consciousness within the whole evolution of the cosmos. We don't understand the whole evolution of the cosmos fully, but we can understand a bit better our own human evolution. Did you say central axis? Axis, yes. Mm. Yeah. So, why? Because the, the evolution is everything, everything that is emerges from being, from God, and everything that is returns to God. Where else has it got to go? There is only God. So everything that is must come from God and everything that goes must go to God. So there's a point where this this meets, this coming and going sort of converge, the central point. And this in the Christian understanding is is the revelation of Jesus. And it's in in the Incarnation that a new era of human relationship to God is inaugurated. And we see this, many, I think, throughout the Gospel. "To To see me is to see the Father, Jesus said. To see me is to see God. But what does that involve? we're seeing someone who was human, who had his, his bad days, he, and who wept, and who suffered, and who failed, and who died. Uh, is this God? How can this be the Father? And yet, the same person tells us through the scriptures and This is the mystery of the scriptures. Everything I have learned from my Father, I share with you. Everything. He holds nothing back. He wants, desires to give everything he is, everything he knows, everything he's experienced of the Father. He longs to give that to us, to share that with us. Because I call you servants, no longer I call you friends. That comes at the end of the Gospel of John in the the Farewell Discourses. So it's a high high moment of Christology, it's a high moment of of the story and the interpretation of the story of Jesus. But it marks a historical moment, I think, in the changing of the human relationship to God. Because God is no longer out there in the forces of nature God is no longer just a a mythical uh, creation of our imagination. You know, it is the basis of uh, our religious hierarchies and so on. But God now speaks to us out of his, let's say, his own longing. His own longing and desire to love us to give what is love. Love is where you want to give yourself to the other, and for the other to receive it, and then to make that reciprocal, of course. So this is the very nature of God expressed in a way we can understand in a human, uh, in a, in a human being, a human relationship. Jesus is saying, you know, having been frustrated by his disciples for a long time, I really would like to share everything I know with you but you have to be do you want to? I call you friends that's why I wash your feet, that's why I'm here to serve, not to judge to heal not to, this is why I've hung out with you Uh, we've walked along the roads of Palestine together and we've gone through a lot together, this is why we've been together all this time so that I can uh, begin to share this with you that this human uh, expression is a revelation of the divine revelation, of, of how God sees us and feels about us. Now, we're putting that in very human terms, you know, and uh, it may sound a little sentimental or anthropomorphic uh, but that is, the whole purpose. that is the whole point of Jesus that he does make the divine mystery uh, something we can experience and even begin to understand in human terms and therefore it makes us aware that what it means that we are the image of God We've been created in the image of God, and therefore, if God longs to reveal himself to us and share everything of himself with us, we can relate to that because yes, well, we all, as Leonard Cohen says, I'm hungry for love, but I'm not coming on. I'm hungry for love. So God is hungry for love just as human beings are hungry for love. So, if that is true, if this is how we can understand the divine human similarity or identity, then we treat each other differently. Because you're exactly the same as me whether you are rich intelligent famous beautiful charming successful funny all of the things that you may want to be or, or may not be that you think you ought to be and you may be useless you may be mentally handicapped you may be you know suffer from mental illness and can't hold down a job there may be all sorts of things about you that are uh, you know look as if you are of less value than the rich and famous and beautiful and intelligent. But actually, we have exactly the same value, essentially. That transforms human society. And it's that revelation of God in Jesus and the humanity of Jesus that changes the world, and has changed the world, slowly, and with quite a few mistakes along the way. Nevertheless, there's an evolution of this revelation of, uh, of, of um, God in Jesus through the Church, through the mystical body of Christ, and even through the institution. So, it's the sense of God that characterizes the Homo sapiens. First, in nature, the mighty forces of nature, and so on, our need for survival. But, and then in human society itself, (coughs) the hierarchies we created, the religious hierarchies, where the king and the priest often form the same kind of role. and then in institutional religion with its high levels of, of intellectual precision and the sutras and the Upanishads and the and Thomas Aquinas. So all of this all of this evolves. But the the, the, the litmus test of all of this is now the way we Relate to the birth of Jesus. The early teachers of the Christian faith and tradition were amazed at what was evolving. For the first four or five centuries, what we call the patristic era, the, the great minds and hearts that formed the Christian basic elements of Christian dogma and the structure of our thinking um, repeated over and over again God became human so that human beings might become God that's the purpose and Angelus Silesius who we're talking a lot about these days become God if you want to go to God become god if you want to go to god god gives himself to the one who wants to be god with him so god will give himself to you if you want to be god with god and be what he is this is this is different from the upanishads where there's a simple sort of equation between the atman and brahman you you are that this is not the same as that this is this is this is a union in in which identity is exchanged between god and us I, the, sorry, the Father and I are one. Jesus does not say, I am the Father. And stepping back into the Jesus of Nazareth rule, he says, the Father is greater than I. This was interpreted later in Trinitarian theology, of course, that the Son emerges from the Father, the Word of God emerges from the Father, but there's no time Dimension here. It's not that the Father came first and then the Son and then the Holy Spirit unites them. This is a simultaneous eternal reality that we try to express in this model of the Trinity. The soul to long, that longs to hit God's heart, Angela says, must aim with one eye only that sees right. So, the soul that longs to hit God's heart must aim with one eye only. Your... So, what is the one eye? What's the one eye? Purity of vision, or just purity hmm. of heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. The eye of the heart in which our bi- binocular vision is united. Well, as it is even in the brain now, isn't it? Not to be double-minded. And what does double-minded mean? Hmm? Dualistic. Dualistic. Discriminating. What? Discriminating. discriminating. Strategizing. Before the paradox. Before. Yeah, before the paradox, where there's. there's, It's it's like people who love to argue about meditation, you know, but won't meditate. Or people who just like to argue about everything. So. uh, And self consciousness. Double minded means self consciousness too. So we have to step over that, or transcend that. And I don't have to tell you the way we do that. I'm not going to. <laughs> anyway, there's more things I was going to say, but... Um, well, very, very briefly, just to run through this. So, the, this mystery of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas... <clears throat> has given birth also to a a huge, rich tradition of of reflection and theology and Christology on the meaning of of, uh, Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Christ and Jesus as the Son of God. And we can approach this in different dimensions, you know, through the historical dimension It's very important to Christianity that Jesus is a historical figure. Krishna doesn't really matter whether he's historical or not. And even the Buddha, for Buddhists. There were many Buddhas before the Buddha. And uh, when they become Buddhas, it's not important that they are historical. It's very important, central to Christian understanding that Jesus is historical. Then the psychological aspect of Jesus, what was he like? What was this personal relationship with God? What did that mean? And then the mystical uh, and the cosmic, how in Christ, in the risen Christ, in the glorified Christ, Cosmos and history, world and humanity are brought uh, together. So there's um, many levels, dimensions at which we can think about the mystery of the birth of Jesus. B. Griffiths uh, gave a lot of attention. To the idea of the primordial person, the cosmic person, which you find in many um, many uh, religions, Eastern and Middle Eastern religions, the Purusha of the of Hinduism. So there's an archetypal person, way back, you know, in, but who is the source uh, from all creation the source of all creation everything comes from this primordial person so the Christian understanding this is the word of God which is the beginning of the Gospel of John which we read on Christmas morning uh, after the the nice little crib scene Jesus born in Bethlehem the next morning it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything came into being through the word So this little baby is the revelation of the primordial person through whom everything came into existence. So there are all these different ways that we can spend a lot of time. But basically it's more than dogma. It involves our own self-knowledge. and Maybe poetry is a better language than the language of of, um, philosophy or theology to express this Um, is the language of the lecture room when we speak about God we may use the language of the lecture room but the mystics tend to use the language of the bedroom and they're different languages different tones, different vocabularies different uh, ways of expressing so this intellectual attempt to answer the question who is Jesus and how does Christmas What does it teach me about the meaning of God or the meaning of Jesus? It's good that we search for that. Some will search for it more intellectually than others. But it has to be grounded, this search, this this questioning, this arguing. It has to be grounded in the realm of feeling and intuition and love. And we were speaking yesterday about what the family, uh, human relationships, but the community, family, the church, uh, teaches us about the importance of being loved. Well, if we want to know who Jesus is and we would like him to share with us everything He has given us, sorry, everything He has learned from the Father. If we want that, that is a relationship. And relationships evolve. And in any evolving relationship, in whatever, of whatever level, whatever kind, we grow in self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is our basis for the knowledge of God. We cannot know God without knowing ourselves. And this is not abstract knowledge, this is the knowledge that comes from being known. And it is not sort of uh, abstract love, it is incarnate love, real love. And so if we want to know who Jesus is we have to allow ourselves to love him and to be loved by him and I think that's, and and to do that with our full humanity, giving everything we are, everything we have, everything we will have uh, into that process. And I think that's what um, you know, being a Christian means. So it's not just about holding certain beliefs or dogma and opposing others. It, it actually involves uh, the whole of our personal evolution as human beings. Our self-knowledge, as it grows, has to be. Invested in this, uh, in in this uh, revelation uh, that comes to us paradoxically uh, in Jesus.